Hope y'all are doing well. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to the book of Acts. Um, we are going to be in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. You don't have to have a miner's cap. Somebody's going to turn on a light in just a second and you'll be able to see. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so we are in Acts chapter 2 and uh, we have been studying through the book of Acts now for just a few weeks, for just a few weeks. Um, before we get started, I want, to, uh, I want to start maybe a new thing. I'm going to say it a few times to you. We're going to get used to it. And so uh, we are going to know how to, because we're going to rehearse it so much, know how to. And sometimes, you know, saying this to you guys who are already here and it's only eight minutes after the service um, is going to be preaching to the choir. So I realize this is good for you and you can... For all those that get here, you know, 15 after the service and 20 after the service, we can just practice it with them one day. So there's three words. It's really simple. They all start with E, and this is how we're going we're gonna to remember it all the time. Eager, expectant, early. So whenever you come to church, you're going to come eager, expectant, early. Eager, expectant, early. Over and over, we're going to start saying that so everybody realizes it. Eager as in you're coming and you're super excited about hearing from the Lord. You, you, you're so excited. You've literally prepared the night before by going to bed early, setting out your clothes, doing all all the things necessary. You're eager. You're expectant. You know God's going to move. Something's going to happen. And so you're excited to be here and you're expecting God to move and change your life. Something is, is going to be awesome and you're early. So you're going to get here 15 minutes ahead of time. And when the reason why you're going to get here 15 minutes ahead of time is not just to get the coffee or maybe the donuts if they're here every other week or whatever, but because there's so many other people here that you need to have conversations with, so many other people here that you need to see. And <clears throat> you will make someone's week by setting aside that extra time, both, both after but also before the service and having conversations. You can double the amount of people you can see when you get here early. So eager, expectant, early, eager, expectant, early. We're going we're gonna to say it a lot. Um, because across the, across the whole United States, uh, people arrive to church late. And we're just not going to, Remedy Church wants to be unique. We want to be different. We want to go against the grain. We want to be not like the rest of the, of the, of the world. So we're going to get to church early, eager, expectant early. All right. So we're in the book of Acts. Happy Mother's Day. I've prepared a special Mother's Day sermon um, that just happened to fall as we're going through the book of Acts about the Holy Spirit. Not at all. It just, there's not a Mother's Day sermon at all. Um, this is just Acts chapter 2. Um, <clears throat> this is the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So uh, I'm going to pray. Um, as Jordan said in the very beginning, Happy Mother's Day. I want to reiterate Happy Mother's Day to all of you. Um, for those that are moms, uh, we love you. And for those that want to be moms, we, we, we certainly uh, feel for you, and we know that the, the pain of wanting to be one and not yet and getting to be one. Um, whenever I was in seminary, uh, one of my professors, uh, actually it wasn't one of my professors, a professor in chapel used to say this, and he used to always bother me. He always would say, the highest calling a woman can have is to be a mom. And that always frustrated me because I understood what he's saying. I mean, he's trying to say um, we need to hold motherhood high because it is, it is a high calling, and we, I agree, it is awesome. But to say it that way, um, really, really can devastate those that want to be moms and can't yet be. And they're like, well, I want to be it. And how come I don't get to have the high calling? Um, so I don't think that. I think that um, for those that long for motherhood and, and you're not yet one or you're, you're dealing maybe with the pain of, of, of a lost child or something like that, we want to say we love you and affirm you. And um, whether you are a mom or not, you are a daughter of the king. And so you're not missing out on the highest calling if you're not yet one or if the Lord never... Um, you know, allows you to be one. You're not missing out on a high calling. Uh, you are a great woman and we appreciate you and love you, whether you're a mom or not. Um, so anyway, let's go back to praying our, for the sermon. And we're going to be in Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two, and we're going <clears throat> through the book of Acts over the next, you know, year, year and a half or so. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time. We, we thank you that you've gathered us together uh, as a church and we, we, we thank you for this text, and I pray that as we look at Acts chapter 2 and we see uh, Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, that we would, we would realize the absolute enormous weight of the Holy Spirit. I mean, just how crucial he is in, in our lives and in working in our lives. We thank you for giving him to us. We thank you for promising to give him to us before he came and then giving the Holy Spirit to us to indwell us, to live inside of us, to help us be able to uh, live out your purposes. We pray as we look at this text this morning that we would be, um, we'd be challenged, Lord, to really seek out uh, living out the power of the Holy Spirit in us 
and we would see all the benefits of the Holy Spirit being given to us. And God, that you would use us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, we're in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and read the full text. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Uh, This is the day the Holy Spirit came. Um, He had never uh, come in power like this. This is a a unique experience uh, that's, you know, amazing whenever you think about it. So uh, just to remind you, over the last couple weeks as we're looking at it, we've got the... If you look at Acts chapter uh, 1 verse 8, Jesus tells them the Holy Spirit is going to come in power. He's going to come upon you and you're going to be witnesses and beginning in here in Jerusalem. And then after that, you're going to spread out a little bit more into Judea and Samaria. And eventually the Holy Spirit is going to fill you so much. You're going to be so powerful as witnesses. You're going to go to the ends of the earth. And so that's that's kind of the command that they were given. And they were said, but don't go do it yet. You've got to wait for the Holy Spirit. He's your power. Go back to Jerusalem. Sit there. Wait there. And then we looked at the second half of, of Acts chapter 1 where they were told, well, as you're waiting, you need to pray. They're, they're looking at the scriptures. They're understanding. They're, they're setting their leadership up and they're just waiting. They're, they know their task. They've been waiting in prayer. And now the Holy Spirit's going to come. And when he comes, they can go to their task. So Acts chapter 2 verse 1 is where the, the task picks up. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came a, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now that word tongues, uh, I want you to just realize it's it's a Greek word glossae. It just literally means languages. So I'll say tongues slash languages and I want you to just think of languages, not the fanciful utterances of uh, speaking in tongues and I have no idea what's going on. Just, just think languages right here. That's all Luke is wanting you to think of. So they're divided um, languages as, verse 3, divided languages as a fire appeared to them and rest of them and each one were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages or tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout uh, men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Same word right there as you're seeing in the other text when you see tongues. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these people speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in his own native language? Again, same word. Uh, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and to the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Uh, proselytes there, by the way, is just another word to say Gentiles. We'll get back to that in a second. Um, or 35 minutes. Cretans and Arabians. And we hear them telling <clears throat> in our own tongues or languages the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked and said, they're just filled with new wine. So we have the coming of the Holy Spirit here and a lot of things are unfolding. So we're going to go back to verse 1 and we're going to go verse by verse. And the big theme that's that's happening here, the big idea is we're going to see some notes on the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the big idea here is what are some things that we can discern and ascertain uh, regarding the coming of the Holy Spirit? Now, um, as Jack and I mentioned few weeks ago, the reason why we're going through the book of Acts is because we talked about the new mission we have. And as we're talking about this new mission, community mission care, we're going to go through the book of Acts and highlight our ability to be able to carry out those things that we want to do well, community mission and care. Now, I would suggest, I would not just suggest, I would, I would put forward as absolute truth, the only way that you and I are ever going to be able to carry out the community mission care, the mission of our church, is if we have the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there, there's no way we're going to be able to do this effectively or well. So when we look at the notes on the Holy Spirit that are present here in these first 13 verses, these, these notes that we see are absolutely crucial for us to be able to live out our church's mission. So as you see these things, these aren't just kind of passing notes that happen just for the first century Christians. Instead, these things, these notes regarding the Holy Spirit are essential for you to be a believer, essential for you to carry out the mission of the church. So six notes regarding the Holy Spirit. Um, When the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, Pentecost, uh, 
has a lot of meaning for us in the 21st century. When we say Pentecost, we think of Pentecostal likely if you grew up in church. And you think of maybe Brother Barry or things like that. Um, if you don't know who that is, you'll Google him later and you'll have a fun 30 minutes. Uh, but Pentecost just literally means, um, Pente just means 50. So Pentecost is literally just the 50th day. So all this really means is 50 days after the resurrection. 50 days after the resurrection. If you're wondering what I said, I said, Brother Barry. Brother Barry. You want to you write that down or don't look at it now. So anyway, 50 just means the 50th day after the resurrection. Now, the question I'm looking at is, why 50? You know, why, why does God wait 50 days? Why not 7? He seems to like that number a lot. Why not 77? Why not 12? Why not 40? What is it about 50 that he, he waits 50 days afterwards? Here's why. Uh, and this is where... Um, this is where the, uh, the contrast that God's trying to draw in choosing 50 days after the resurrection is, is amazing. Because remember, the, the Passover and the resurrection, the cross, death, burial, and resurrection all coincided together on the same day. And so what, what used to happen 50 days after the Passover and what happens now 50 days after the resurrection, it, the contrast is beautiful. So 50 days. Um, Derek Thomas says, 50 days uh, before the Passover, they came to the Mount Sinai. Where Moses received the law. Pentecost, the 50th day, isn't, in other words, just about the first fruits. The sheaf which says the harvest has begun. It's about God giving to his redeemed, the people, the way of life by which now they must carry out his purposes. So 50 days after the Passover was the giving of the law. Now 50 days after the resurrection, he gives a spirit. Kent Hughes goes on to explain it better. He says, the 50th day was considered the anniversary of the giving of the law of Mount Sinai. And this is the perfect co- contrast now where they're going to not just, they're not giving the law. Instead, they're giving the Holy Spirit. As Derek Thomas said, the way that we, the people of God can live out the purposes of God. Before it was by the law, and they realized that that was a bankrupt system they never could do it. But now, it's by the Spirit. And we're able to do it because of the Spirit. So the Spirit has been given to us at Pentecost. Now, the first thing I want to point out then is this. We have to look back at chapter 1, verse 8. And we see Jesus saying, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So, remembering that he came on Pentecost, the 50th day, and when he did... We know that in verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, that says that when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive power. Now, the receiving power is not necessarily what we all think in order to now speak in tongues or now to be able to carry out what would be a Pentecostal type movement. Instead, chapter 1, verse 8 tells us the giving of the Holy Spirit is not primarily about that. Instead, as it says in verse 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So the giving of the Holy Spirit is not primarily, or even remotely, I would say, but at least primarily, about speaking in tongues. Instead, the giving of the Holy Spirit is about carrying out the Great Commission. That's the point. He gives it to us so that we can be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So the first thing that I want you to see, the first note, not just for them but for us, is this. The Holy Spirit comes primarily to give us power to be witnesses not speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit comes to give us power to be witnesses, to be able to tell people the Lord has given us a, a purpose by which way we should live. This only comes through Christ. And the way that you can do this is by trusting in Christ. So the Holy Spirit has been given primarily for us to be witnesses as we see in verses 1 through 8. Now, it says, On the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together. Who's, who's the all together? commentators kind of comment both ways. Some say since we just finished the, the installation of Matthias into the, the, the di- diaconate where Judas has kind of removed himself, if you will, and Matthias has been put in. Some people say the all together right here is just the 12 disciples. I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's actually the 120 as we saw in verse 15 of chapter 1 where we see about 120 all kind of together. And it says they were they were all together in one place. Commentators go back and forth, but the majority say 120. I, I, think, that's the, I think that's the right idea. There's a reason for that, uh, and we'll see in a second. But they're all together in one place, and it says, and suddenly there came from heaven. Suddenly there came from heaven. One commentator wanted to talk about this, this word suddenly, um, and it was, it was really good what he said. He said, 
The word suddenly there in verse 2 where it says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound. This is highlighting for us the Holy Spirit's free and sovereign ability that is not bound by timing or technique and how he's going to give his power. But he can just freely come at any moment and it's sudden and it's massively powerful. Uh, He says, we are to bank on his daily indwelling presence and grace, walk in the obedience of his faith and pray day and night for the outpouring of power from on high. But we cannot make the spirit come. The spirit comes suddenly. He loves and he serves, but he keeps his own hours and he knows what's best for us. And he tells a story about Dwight Moody. In the summer of 1981, two women of Dwight Moody's congregation felt an unusual burden to start praying for Moody that the Lord would give him a baptism of Holy Ghost and fire. Moody um, would see them praying in the front row of the church throughout the week and and it says that he actually became irritated but soon he gave in and in September he he began to pray with them every Friday afternoon and he felt like his ministry was becoming a sounding brass but with little power. On November 24th, 1871, Moody's church building was destroyed in the great Chicago fire. He went to New York to seek financial help. Day and night he would walk the streets desperate for the touch of God's power in his life and then it says and then suddenly one day In the city of New York, this is Moody himself writing. One day, suddenly, in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to even name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again, and the sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, yet hundreds were converted after this. I would not be placed... I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should even give me all the world. It would be small dust in the balance. And this is how the Holy Spirit works. Freely as he, as he wants, as sovereign as he wants. He, he prayed and he obeyed and he waited and then he could not make the Spirit come and then suddenly the Holy Spirit came. And the effect of it... Um, as, it, as the commentator writes, was Pentecostal. Not in the experience of tongues, but instead in the harvest. It was Pentecostal, meaning that many people were saved. Not that they were speaking in tongues. So Pentecostal should mean thousands getting saved. I mean, that's, that's exactly what happens in Acts chapter 2, as you read towards the end. Many people were getting saved, namely 3,000. When the Spirit comes in power and he comes suddenly on his own terms, he comes for harvesting. He comes for people getting saved. So the first note is this. The first note is the Holy Spirit comes primarily to give us power to be witnesses. Power to be witnesses, to carry out this great commission he told us in Acts chapter 1. Now, if you keep reading, and suddenly there came from heaven, and then he uses two words to describe the Holy Spirit. A sound like the mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on in each one of them. So you've got the Holy Spirit being described in two ways here, wind and fire. I'm sorry, wind and fire. And this is highlighting his power that he has. First, it uses the mighty rushing wind. And I think what Luke is doing is contrasting uh, this teaching of Jesus in John chapter 3, where he says, in John chapter 3, uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, That when the Holy Spirit comes, in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from, where it goes, so it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. So he's he's contrasting the subtle, not even subtle, the major difference between John 3 wind Holy Spirit and Acts 2 wind Holy Spirit. Just just picture if you can, as they're there, they're, they're, they're praying. Picture this, if you would. Let's say, this coming prayer month, um, the first Wednesday, we're praying. And all of a sudden, we just hear kind of a little breeze. And then it picks up. like, And then all of a sudden, it goes from you know, wind to a little bit stronger to gale force winds to tornado hurricane to mighty rushing wind as we're praying. That's all they're doing. They're literally just praying. And all of a sudden, they're like, did you hear that breeze? It sounded kind of strong. All right, let's just pray. And they keep going back. And all of a sudden, it just picks up into gale force type winds. And what Luke is helping us see is this contrast where in John 3 is this quiet, you know, sweeping by, saving whom he wants, where Acts 2 is a mighty rushing wind. 
and blowing and just explodes onto the scene for his very first coming. Now, the, uh, the contrast here is, is very stark. Uh, and I think it's help, helpful for us to realize that this is a, a comparison maybe of the normal work of the Spirit. The, the showing up is amazing, but John 3 likely, in, in most circumstances, is how he'll move today. But when he shows up for the very first time, it's extremely like hurricane wind force powerful. Uh, now after that, you have not just the wind, but then you have fire. And fire represents a few things. If you remember uh, back in the Old Testament where they were led by clouds and fire, it represents the presence of God. But it also, fire, uh, represents the judgment of God where fire comes and burns away all the impurities. So it can represent both things like the presence of God and the judgment of God. And this is uh, fulfilling <clears throat> Matthew chapter 3, right after the baptism of Jesus they talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit one day. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 11, um, it says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, who will, whose sandals I am unworthy to carry. And Jesus says, uh, and instead of Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so this is kind of fulfillment that one day when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, it describes him like fire. And so you've got these two descriptors of the Holy Spirit, one of wind and one of fire, and both of them are helping us understand that the Holy Spirit is mighty. He's extremely powerful. And it says, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and rested on each one of them. Now, um, as you go into verse four, it tells us something. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. But the first thing I want you to see is in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a, a unique way the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit when he comes in the life of a believer. And the way that he says is that the Holy, the Holy Spirit comes and fills us. Believers, those who are put their faith in Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection for their forgiveness of their sin. They see and understand that they're a sinner and their only way in order to um, be forgiven of their sin is to trust in Christ that he died for them. Whenever they become a believer in Jesus, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. This is the case here. It, it happens again in Acts chapter 9 where it says Paul's filled with the Holy Spirit. It says even in Ephesians 5 that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and so the Bible, as it talks about all believers, this isn't just for um, for those that are believers, they kind of have a first filling and then a second filling. There's just a filling of the Holy Spirit. Whenever we become a Christian, it says that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, um, the second note then is this. The Holy Spirit, you can go ahead and put it up. The Holy Spirit must fill all of us. So every single one of us need to have a filling of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled. Now, let's, let's talk about what this can what this can look like. Again, uh, I referenced Ephesians 5.18 and it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Verse 18, and do not get drunk on wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. In other words, as wine fills you, it controls you, it causes you to do wrong things. In the same way, the Holy Spirit fills you and uh, as this causes you to do bad things and controls you, the spirit fills you in a good way and causes you to live for him. That's Ephesians 5.18. But it's interesting that in the same letter, there's also a, a way that it talks about filling. Now, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that particular verse is passive. It means, it's not an act of, like, it's not saying you can be filled. Instead, it's saying you need to be filled. So it's a passive thing. It's happening to you, which highlights that only God can do this. So as you trust in Christ, God fills you with the Holy Spirit. But... Just to make sure that I, uh, I don't like take you off the hook of there's nothing you can do. I think there is something you can do. You can't fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. But in the exact same letter, it does say uh, something similar. And it's something that we can do. Let, let me explain what I mean. If you look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. There's the, the prayer that Paul has for the Ephesians. And I, I think it's interesting that it's in the same letter. Now, Ephesians 5, 18, it says that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in the same letter in Ephesians chapter 3, looking at verse um, 18 and 19, it's talking about how we need to, 
Look at verse 17, actually. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, so we know we're talking about love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. So we're understanding something that's massive, namely the love of God. And it says, and to know here it is, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So, so far in that, those particular verses, we're seeing what we can do. Not only God can fill us, but what can we do? We can, and it doesn't, Fill us with the Holy Spirit, but it does do something. But what we need to do is to know the love of Christ. So there is, while being filled with the Holy Spirit is passive, there is an active thing that you can do, namely knowing the love of Christ. And when you do that, it says this in verse uh, 18 and 19. Being filled with the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, again, that filling is still passive, but there is something you're doing when that happens, namely Knowing the love of Christ. So, as a believer, you can only be filled with the Holy Spirit once. But as you are walking with Christ, there's a continual being filled with all the fullness of God or being filled with the Holy Spirit. Not like you're getting resaved, not like the Holy Spirit's finally, you know, able to do work because you're doing something. But instead, um, He's always there. But there is something you can do, namely, as it says in Ephesians 3. Knowing the love of Christ. So, yes, we need to be filled. All of us need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lord does that. It's absolutely essential for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to carry out his purposes. What can you do? Since it's the Lord that does it, what can you do? What you can do is this. Continually know the love of Christ. The only way you can do that is is searching out the scriptures and seeing all he's done for you. Do all that you can. The Lord's the one that fills But what you can do, it's not like, oh, I guess I'll just sit over here on the chair and do nothing. It's up to him. You still can do this. Continually search the scriptures to see what Christ has done for you so that you can know his, as it says, the height, breadth, and length of love he has for you. All right, that's that's the second. Second note regarding the Holy Spirit is that we must be filled. Now, here's the next thing. Uh, is this. And this is similar to number one. This is similar to number one. Number one is the Holy Spirit's given to us in order to remind us that we're supposed to do evangelism. We're supposed to, uh, we're supposed to f- find every way we can to fulfill the Great Commission. But some of us, when we get out there, we're like, I don't know what to say. I have no idea what to do. This next one is pretty awesome. If you look at verse four, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and then as the Holy Spirit filled them, notice what happened after that. As they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as who gave them utterance? As the Spirit gave them utterance. This is no small thing. This is no small thing whatsoever. So the third thing is this. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to cause us to communicate. He gives the words, we speak the words. So as we're looking at number one and we're seeing we've been given the power in order to fulfill the Great Commission, your argument back to me is, I don't ever know what to say. Whenever I'm supposed to do the evangelism, I'm not sure what to say. Well, verse four is good news. Because when the Holy Spirit comes and fills you, he actually gives you the utterance. He gives you the words. You have to trust him. You have to do the work of making sure that you are knowing the love of Christ in order that you are filled with all the fullness of God so that whenever you have the opportunity to, as we said, number one, fulfill the Great Commission, he is filling you with the words that you have. This is a precious promise from the Bible that the Holy Spirit gives you the words that you should say when it's time to do the evangelism. He speaks. He wants to talk through you. He has come to speak and talk through you like he does for them. He will do it. And the amazing thing is, here they're doing it in other languages. You can just do it in English because you probably are are surrounded with people by English that speak English, that know English, that talk English. I'm sorry, I'm Southern. Um, So um, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the ability not necessarily to speak in other tongues. That's not the big deal here. But the big deal is to give you the ability to speak He's going to give you the ability to speak about him. So whenever you you know that you've been given the task to fulfill the Great Commission, the Holy Spirit has been given 
to you in order for you to fulfill the Great Commission by causing you to communicate. You have, listen, Christian, listen. If you've never led someone to Christ, you've been a Christian for 20 minutes or 20 years, you have the ability to lead someone to Jesus. I promise you. You have just as much ability as, as the Apostle Paul to lead someone to Jesus because you have the same amount of Holy Spirit in you as he does, did. He's dead. So you can lead someone to Christ because the Holy Spirit causes you to communicate. The big deal in verse four is that they're talking, not talking in tongues, but that they're talking about Jesus. And you have the ability to do it. That's the third one. Now, um, since I've done a, so far, um, it seems like I'm kind of going out of my way to make sure that we understand that this particular verses aren't so much about tongues as they are about the coming of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission. I want to I point out something else. Are tongues the, really the big deal here? They seem to have been made the big deal. Or is there something else when they have this listing of all these tongues and the listing of all the countries that God has something else, like a bigger deal rather than the fact that you can just now speak in languages you don't understand? Is there something else that's actually more important? We see, let me, let me point out to you what, why tongues are being mentioned here, or languages. It's not so that you individually all of a sudden have this amazing, huge, unbelievable gift that you never thought you could have. The tongues aren't necessarily here in order for us to be able to speak in a whole lot of tongues. There's actually, the tongues are mentioned for a greater deal. And I'll show you. It's, it's right there in the text. Let me show you. First, look at verses 9 through 11. I'm going to build my point by looking at verses 9 through 11. We know that they're speaking in a bunch of languages. And Luke is going out of his way here. I mean, going out of his way to try to show you the absolute diversity of people there. Verse 9, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, that's a weird word, and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene and visitors and Rome. So here, thus far, um, John Stott says that Luke is basically scanning his first century mind's eye map and going from east to west and he's listing five huge different uh, groups from Mesopotamia to Asia Minor to North Africa to Rome. And then lastly, even as Destin Afterthought, he can't even remember. He's like, oh yeah, and don't forget about the Cretans and the Arabs, like them too, like everybody I can think of. And then just to make sure in verse 11, um, I can mention everybody, the Jews and the Gentiles. All right, that's everybody. I think if I'm thinking about everybody, and so the languages is trying to highlight everybody. Look at verse five. I'll make my point in, in, in verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, here it is, from every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. So the diversity of languages present whenever the disciples start speaking and all these languages isn't so that we would look at the disciples and say, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to speak in tongues. The diversity of languages is so that we look at it and we say, every nation under heaven hearing the gospel. The multiplicity of languages or tongues there is showing us Here's the fourth highlight. The Holy Spirit's coming in this particular way signals God's desire for every nation under heaven to be saved. Not, hey, I really want you to speak in tongues, Christians. It's him saying, everybody on this planet in this particular area that Luke can think of as he's writing, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit with his own personality and all the people he can name, I'm wanting you all to see, I want every nation under heaven saved. I want every nation under heaven saved. So the coming of the Holy Spirit reminds us for God's heart for the nations. Not, oh, I really want you to speak in tongues, Christian. Instead, it's signaling to us every nation is his goal. Go back to verse 1-8. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, ends of the earth. It's just a continuing of what's being said in the very beginning. So the Holy Spirit being given to them is signaling that it's not just the Jews, but it's also the proselytes, the Gentiles, and every nation under heaven he wants to be saved, therefore signaling to us. He wants us to do the same thing. 
He wants us by the power of the Holy Spirit with our station in life and our ability and our means to take the gospel to the nations. To take the gospel to the nations. Now, the next one is my absolute favorite one. This is my absolute favorite one. Verse 7. Well, let's read verse 6. And this, so, um, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the multitude came together. So remember, they're, they're in a house, about 120. They're, they're praying, the Holy Spirit comes, and then it says that there's, it's such a mighty rushing wind that they all began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There, so they're in some kind of room, and it was so loud, and it, so much was going on, and so, it was so windy, if you will, and so astonishingly loud that people around there in Jerusalem, are, you know, maybe they're just walking by, they're heading to the, to the Hebrew Walmart or getting whatever they want, and they hear, like, what's going on in that particular room? It sounds pretty loud. There's about 120 people in there, and they're all talking in a whole lot of tongues. And they're like, well, that's my language. And that's my, that's my, that's my language. That's my. They're, they're all getting close, and they're trying to get up there. And it says, and at this sound, so we can just, this isn't like a small sound. This is a majorly loud sound as they're walking by this, I guess, centrally located room in Jerusalem. And it says, at this sound, came together. So now you've got lots of people coming, lots of people surrounding this. And in my understanding, it eventually somehow gets outside because you can't hold that many people in a room. They eventually get themselves outside because we're going to see Peter's going to give this sermon, 3,000 get saved. Gave it away already. I already gave away what's going to happen in the next two weeks. Anyway, so verse 6, it says, At this sound the multitude came together, and they're bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. So somehow it's worked its way outside, and all these people that are looking at them and they're like, Wait a second, how am I hearing all these particular people speak in my own language? And it says, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, that's not just a, a, uh, a, a, a question. That's also kind of like a dig. That's like, aren't these the, the Galileans? Um, in other words, Kent Hughes says, aren't these the Galileans? And we who live in the South, we, we have a special like, um, as I read this, you're going to have a, a special love for these disciples again. Because this is how we're reviewed by the rest of the world. Aren't these the Galileans, ignorant, despised country bumpkins who had funny accents because they couldn't pronounce certain things, like gutturals, for them it's gutturals. But suddenly, they have amazing linguistic powers. So the Holy Spirit comes into them and fills them in such a way that these rednecks with you know, southern accents, all of a sudden are speaking in perfect linguistic accents and powers um, or uh, linguistic powers in the exact way that they hear. They're, they're able to speak gutturals. They're not drawing their words out. They're not talking slow anymore. They're, they're actually speaking a little bit, fast, whatever, you know. What the point is, is that the Holy Spirit comes into these country bumpkin Galileans and causes them now as they're speaking in tongues that their, their inabilities before their incompetencies before are washed away and now they have these new abilities. That's, this is my favorite because here's, here's the deal. For all of us that still feel like, I, uh, I'm, I'm not going to be good at this whole evangelism thing, Fud. Well, verse 7 tells us this. The Holy Spirit's indwelling completes you where you're incapable. I don't mean in regard to sin. I mean in regard to your ability to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit indwelling completes you where you're incapable and teaches you where you're incompetent. That's what's happening here. It's exactly what's happening to them. They're able to now communicate the gospel effectively to their particular audience. And that's the same thing that he's able to do for us. He completes us where we're incapable and teaches us where we're incompetent. Now, I'm not just making all that up and kind of landing it in on verse 7. There's more uh, in the Bible that helps us see that. And I want to make sure that you, you see I'm not just... I'm not just making that up. John chapter 14, verse 25 and 26. This is where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. This is what he says the Holy Spirit will do for us. These things I have spoken while I'm still with you, but the Holy Spirit, the helper, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So that's him teaching us where we're incompetent. But also in John chapter, chapter 16, Verse 8 and 3, he's still talking about the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
And then it says in verse 10, when the Holy Spirit, the truth comes upon you, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak in his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so he is where you're incompetent, he's making you more competent. And when you're incapable, he's helping you be able to do that. John chapter 14, 15, and 16 is this huge teaching of Jesus on all the things that the Holy Spirit can do. And it's being displayed here in verse 7. So as I've already said before, you, you don't feel like you're able to, communi- to, uh, to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit does amazingly more. It doesn't just cause you to speak and give you utterance, but he also, he completes you where you're incapable. You, you're incapable of, of communicating someone's need for Jesus. Well, the good news is he helps you speak and then the heart that's hard that you want to hear, you can't change that heart, but he can do it. And he teaches you where you're incompetent. As you don't know things about Christ, the more that you return to the scriptures to see and understand and know the vast love of Christ, he teaches you. All the things that you're incompetent about the gospel or maybe sharing the gospel, he teaches you. That's the promise that he tells us in John chapter 14. And then you're communicating much more clearly the gospel. And the beautiful thing is this. I, 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 want, I want to make sure that you, you hear this. Um, and I've experienced this firsthand. I'm sure Jack has. I'm sure we all have. Sometimes you will share the gospel and it will be the messiest, <laughs> most confusing gospel pro- proclamation or gospel like giving to someone ever. I mean, it's just unbelievably messy. And they're just like, that's awesome. And they get saved, right? Like, that's the Holy Spirit, right? And then sometimes it is the most crisp, clear, pure, giving. Like, Billy Graham would hear that and be like, dude, that's good. That's awesome. And hard heart. Nothing happens. It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus tried to talk to the rich young ruler, and his heart was so hard he didn't get saved. So the Holy Spirit, his indwelling and his speaking through us and working on the hearts of the hearer is absolutely crucial. It's absolutely crucial. All right. Verse eight, and how is it that we hear each other in our own language? We've already read all these people, Parthians and, uh, verse, verse, look at verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Oh yeah, I forgot them, Cretans and Arabians. And it says this, we hear them telling in our own tongues, our own language, the mighty works of God. Telling the mighty works of God. Telling the mighty works of God. Now, in this particular uh, section, this is them telling the mighty works of God in order for them to understand who Christ is. What he, the mighty works of God specifically are about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and how they can be saved. So for us, it's the same. The Holy Spirit's indwelling should cause us to tell the great works of God often and with confidence. The Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you should, tell, should cause you. Now, I want, I want to expand this out. The meaning of the text is you need to tell the great works of God. And specifically, that means you need to tell what, what Christ has done, his death, burial, and resurrection. But I can expand that out in application and I'll say, also say not just the gospel, but also the things he's done in your life. The Holy Spirit's indwelling should cause you with great confidence to tell the gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection, and also the amazing thing he's done in your life, just day to day, how he meets your needs, how he's brought you from poor health to good health, how he has, after you prayed forever, uh, given you a child, after he, you've prayed forever for your marriage to be healed, it's happened, or you've prayed forever for your, your sibling or your father or your mother who's been lost forever, got saved after being lost for 40 something. I mean, all these great works that the Lord can do. He causes us, he indwells us to tell of the great work, the gospel of Jesus, but also the great works he's done in your life. And he causes you to do that with confidence. Because, I mean, you didn't do that. And you can say, I didn't do this. I mean, there's no way that this kind of thing could happen in my life. I couldn't do that on my own. I couldn't even dream of it happening like this. Only God could do that. Only God could do that. I have no way I could bring this about. So the Holy Spirit, maybe another way to say it is how Paul says it. The Holy Spirit causes us, um, his Holy Spirit's dwelling in us, 
causes us to be able to boast in Christ. Boast in Christ. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. I love this. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So Paul's saying, if I'm gonna boast about anything, the only thing I have to boast about is what Jesus has done on the cross for me. And his indwelling gives us the ability to do that. So what's, what's the, the heart here of Pentecost? Derek Thomas tells us there's, there's, there's some things that we can understand, kind of the big deal about the coming of, of, of the Holy Spirit. It now signals that we have the presence of God in our life. He's here. It now also signals that God's desire is for world evangelism. He wants, as it says in verse five, every nation under heaven. The next one, and this is awesome. The heart of Pentecost is telling you as believers that he has given you vast supply of resources in order to accomplish his design for the church. You have vast supply. You will not run out of what you need. In other words, there's no like, okay, Holy Spirit, your power's kind of run out in me. I guess I need to plug into the wall and get recharged. It's, there's always like a continual giving of power of the Holy Spirit. He's infinite. And so his supply to you is infinite. He has given you a vast, infinite supply in order for you to f- fulfill his purposes. And the last one is this. The, this is um, Derek Thomas's take, but this is pretty awesome. The coming of the Holy Spirit ushers in those beginning stages where now God is restoring and recreating the broken world that happened in Genesis chapter three. The Holy Spirit comes and in chapter two of Acts, this ushering in of this major presence of the Holy Spirit coming is a signal for us to see this broken world that's been broken since Genesis chapter three when Adam and Eve first sinned because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and now the Holy Spirit here. I am putting back together, I'm redeeming not just humankind, but all of creation and restoring this broken world. And one day, it'll be a return to the garden. In other words, with all of the beautiful things that Adam and Eve had before the fall, they were in a perfect world. It was perfect. They literally walked with God. They knew him perfectly and were known by him perfectly. And we are one day returning to that. It won't be in a garden, but it'll be in a city. And we'll be redeemed. And we will be, just like they were, made whole in a perfect, non-broken world with our Savior forever. I mean, it's just amazing to even think about and consider. Now, this is the coming of the Holy Spirit and these are the, the... the things that he does in our life. Now what we're left with is what's our response? What's our response? In this particular verse, we see two responses, completely different. Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Not like, what does this mean? But what does this mean? It's unbelievable. That's the first response. The reaction is awe. It's an altogether appropriate reaction. Wonder, amazement, awe. It's the complete right reaction. We should be amazed at the Holy Spirit's movement. Kent Hughes says, what does this mean? It means that the Holy Spirit brings new life to those who believe in Jesus Christ. And with that comes a continuing power to those who are continually filled. That's what it means. That's the first appropriate reaction. It's our right response. But there's a second response. And if we're, if we're not careful, this second response, unbeknownst to you likely, accidentally could be yours. Verse 12, but to all, verse 13, I'm sorry. But others mocked saying, they're filled with new wine. They're filled with new wine. Now, Peter's gonna stand up in verse 15 and just destroy that. He's gonna say, Guys, it's 9 a.m. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's drunk here, okay? This isn't people that are just drunk on wine. It's 9 a.m. I mean, you gotta be like really bad, right? So two responses. 
One, amazed and perplexed, altogether appropriate, wonder and awe-filled. The other, it is drunk. Hot, this is hostility towards the working of the Spirit. This is lying about what's really going on. This is mockery about what's going on in the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe you wouldn't do those things outright, believer, but maybe you would do this. Indifference. Just indifference. You've been a Christian for so long and not been in awe. You're not responded in awe of the fact the Holy Spirit is given to you. You would never mock and lie, but you would just be indifferent. You would just go about your own way for months, for years. Your response isn't as these particular people were in verse 12. Amazed and perplexed. What does this mean? It means that the Holy Spirit's now given me life to believe in Christ. And with that life comes a continuing power. Instead, it's indifference. So, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. I mean, this is an amazing, precious gift. What will be your response today? Right now? This moment? What will be your response? Will it be wonder and awe, continual wonder and awe and amazement and a desire to live out the Holy Spirit in you? Or will you continue in indifference? Will you continue in indifference for the next months or years? The Holy Spirit is pleading with you now to respond in wonder and awe. Not just in a service where you stand and sing and give and worship, but with your life as you go and seek to fulfill the great commission that we've been given. R.C. Sproul says this regarding Pentecost. Pentecost was a watershed moment in the history of the church. The day of Pentecost was that moment in redemptive history where God unlocked the power of the Holy Spirit and gave it to his church, not just for those who were gathered there, but to the church of every age and to every Christian throughout all time. That wind, that fire is as much for us today as it was for those gathered in that upper room. We, us today, are to be the people of the Holy Spirit as well as the people of the Son and the Father. So what's your response? Let's be people filled with awe and wonder. Who knows what this means? It means we have Christ. We're gonna go into a time of response and I would just, I would just ask you, let's be in awe and wonder as we sing and let's be in awe and wonder as we go. Let's pray. Jesus, be with us now as we worship. We pray, Lord, that we would see and understand with new and fresh eyes uh, for some of us this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit and that we would understand that the giving of the Holy Spirit is in order for us to have power, words, and abilities to fulfill this great commission that you've given to us to do the mission that you've given us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would be moved now. We would be in awe and wonder that you would do this and that our lives would be different. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.